listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 26th of May 2022. Later, an easing of US tariffs on China. Is that a good way to ease inflation? But first, how do you spot a billionaire? Well, the Financial Review has released its rich list for the year, a record 137 billionaires in Australia. Anthony Pratt, the cardboard box maker, is at number five. He's worth $24.3 billion. The Atlassian boys, Mike Cannon-Brooks at number three, Scott Farquhar at number four. Iron ore miner Andrew Forrest is at number two. He's worth $30.7 billion. And Gina Reinhardt, also in iron ore, the mining magnate, she is the richest person in Australia, $34 billion worth. What are the trends on the list and what kind of an impact have migrants made on it? Well, for more, I spoke earlier with one of its co-authors, Julianne Sprague. Julianne, Australia now has a record 137 billionaires and the interesting thing is a lot of them have built their wealth during a pandemic. So the question is how... And what does that say about money-making opportunities during tough times? It is pretty extraordinary. When we sit down and do rich lists, we think in tough times we'll be marking people down. And what we saw this year is we were increasing people's uh, fortunes by quite a lot for some of them. Um, what we saw during the pandemic was some pretty strong property prices. Anyone who lives in any of the major capital cities will have seen that. So you see people like Harry Trigoboff, who's behind the Meriton Empire, he goes up by something like $4 billion this year. It's a pretty significant rise in his wealth. In terms of the uh, the billionaires themselves, there's a cross-section and a big, big component is coming from technology. Like it really is this industry that's coming through and, and helping sort of broaden out the list from the typical sectors of mining, manufacturing and property. Okay, so according to your list, what does a typical billionaire look like? For example, what are their characteristics? What industry do they work in? How old are they? <laughs> How to spot your billionaire? <laughs> it's they're, they're all very, very different individuals. But if I had to pick out some similarities, there is something about all of them, and that is that they really back themselves in. There is a certain appetite for risk that these people have. They will throw it all on the line. If you look at um, even some of the older people on the list, their, their beginnings come from, from not much, very humble beginnings, but they throw it all in. When things get tough, they sell what they've got to throw it throw it back in again. We, we've done a story on uh, Kerry Hermanis. Uh, he's, he's a man, he's, his father came from Greece. He was in the prospecting game. He started out looking for, for different things across uh, Australia. The company didn't go very well at all and he had to sort of dip into his back pocket, find some funding, threw it all in, and the next thing you know, well, you know, 20 years later, he's doing a deal for $3 billion um, and, and he's on, on the rich list with a significant fortune. So that's the common thread. It's have an idea, want to solve a problem, back yourself in. So you mentioned someone there with the Greek heritage, right? Um, what kind of a contribution are migrants making to the list and in turn to the Australian economy? Oh, look, I really felt like I got dudded doing this rich list this year. I think they should have sent me to Greece because there quite, there's quite a few stories coming from Greece. Uh, a lot of this list has a migrant background. It really is a, a rags to riches sort of 
story. So I mentioned Kerry Hamanis. There's another a beautiful story, uh, Nick Andrianakos. Uh, this is a gentleman who uh, arrived in Australia from Greece. He turns up for his you know, his, his very first job, it happens to be at a, a car factory and he's wearing a suit, you know, uh, and he gets directed to a, you know, an assembly line with a whole bunch of people who are not wearing suits. But I guess it shows you, you dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. And so he would go on uh, driving a, a forklift for, for Richard Pratt. Uh, and now, um, you know, all, all these years later, uh, he and his family have significant property interests after uh, buying a couple of petrol stations and uh, and then selling those to Caltex, but owning an awful lot of property uh, that underpins uh, those petrol stations. It's a pretty significant story. Uh, but it's not just Greece. I would just point out for anyone else who's listening who has uh, different heritage, we have uh, Jack Zhang. He's uh, hails from China. He's behind a company called Airwallex. They've just transformed the way you can... Um, transfer money across borders, uh, if you will. Uh, Fung Lam uh, hails from Hong Kong. He has a, a company called New Aim. And, and if I go through the list, you know, there's just a staggering amount of, of migrants and it, and it makes me proud to think this country is so multicultural and uh, we hope that there is further influx of, of migrants so that they can populate the rich list in years to come. Okay, let's focus on that top list now, right? Um when we think about iron ore prices, they boom during the year. Technology also kind of went through this big roller coaster, and all of that was kind of reflected in in the top five, wasn't it? Can you run through that? It was extraordinary. Like I know, so so the the Gina Reinhart tops the list for the third year running, and you can look at that and think, oh, okay, Gina, she's at the top again. But this year, myself and everyone in the Richness team, we were sort of evil hops. We think, oh, there's going to be a change at the top. There's going to be a changing of the guard. And for a while there, Mike Cannon-Brooks was actually the richest person in this country. It was uh, towards the end of last year, Atlassian shares were surging. The iron ore price had come off, and there was this big switch at the top. Uh, and we thought that that might hold through. But then, as we've seen, there's been a massive tech sell-off. The tech shares have been thumped. So the value, uh, the, the wealth pile for Scott Barquire and Mike Cannon-Brooks has dipped just as iron ore prices came back up. So Gina Reinhardt and Andrew Forrest were able to sort of really cement their spot in number one and number two. Uh, and uh, Mike and Scott fell down a bit. But you don't we don't need to feel too sorry for them at this stage. They've still got fortunes north of $20 billion. Julianne Sprague there from the Financial Review. She is a co-author of The Rich List. Let's go to the Australian share market now, which fell today. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.7 of a percent, 7,105 points. For more on the day's market action, and all the themes on the market, I spoke earlier with Marja Bean Zaman from City. Marja Bean, what's driving the market today? U.S. markets closed positive on the back of the FOMC minutes, uh, which were really less hawkish than markets expected, as they really spoke about the fact that they, the Fed tends to be more aggressive near term to allow for more flexibility further in the year. Having said that, Asian markets seem to be quite volatile as we speak on the back of the Chinese premier acknowledging the challenges that the Chinese economy is facing um, given the strict um, COVID-19 lockdowns in place. Overall, looking at the past week, it does appear that equities have somewhat rebounded globally from recent lows, but more importantly, all eyes on the upcoming data which would impact the way forward for equity markets. 
We've seen a bit of volatility around the world, but more so in the US too. I guess it's all about rising interest rates, the potential for that economy to enter a recession. Where do you see stocks going there? Exactly. Look, it's, um, I would say it's a crucial inflection point for equities. Um, markets are pricing in um, aggressive tightening in a short period of time, and that's really leading to growth fears. Um, in the U.S., we have, um, you know, bounced a low from a low of around 3,800 on the S&P 500. But, you know, looking back into history, we have been in a bull equity market since President Biden was elected. So going back to that level where, we be- where he began his term could possibly be the flaw that we're looking at, which is really a further 10% from current levels. On the upside, we possibly see a tight range of percent upside, which really would be fair value to where balance sheets are today. Overall, um, markets do appear to be quite bearish, positioning very short. So when the bounce does come, it could be sharp and aggressive. Okay, you you mentioned Biden there. To what extent could a possible easing of US tariffs against China help to ease inflation? And how would that flow through to investments? Look, I think we started the week um, this week with President Biden confirming that the tariffs that have been placed by the Trump administration will be under review. Um, To second that, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has also been vocal about easing tariffs to address rising inflation in the US. Now, what we think that could happen in the future is that some tariffs could be eased um, in the non-strategic areas. However, this possibly could be replaced by other tariffs, such as in high-tech sectors, for example. Another option that we possibly could see going forward is that there have been some tariffs um, which have been in place since 2018. This was really the first batch of tariffs which were placed and they were placed on a four-year period um, and which are now due to expire and are now up for review. This review process in the US will usually last up to July, so we see no eminent changes in the near term. Overall, um, we don't believe that um, tariffs is the most effective way in managing inflation concerns. Yes, we do know that we have the US midterm elections coming up. Given how high prices are rising, inflation does need to be addressed, but we're also of the view that removing Chinese tariffs will have little immediate impact in reducing the CPI number. As we know, with tariffs, they usually take months of negotiation and more importantly, will need to be aligned with the foreign strategic policy in the US. So overall, if there is any change, limited, if any, or none on the inflation numbers. And wrapping up, in this volatile environment, higher interest rates, higher inflation, how are you investing? Where are the opportunities? You know, um, our conversations um, have been around inflation and interest rates all year. And that really brings us back into looking at safe haven assets, which really looks at the bonds and fixed income space. Uh, in this space, we have been allocating to investment grade paper, which is in Australian dollar paying well above that 5% per annum. Um, when we look at equities, uh, again, when evaluating equities, you really look at the risk reward. So where are you getting paid to take on more risk? Um, with equities, we are particularly focusing on adding inflation hedges. Uh, in that, obviously, gold um, tends to do well. Uh, it's also a hedge against um, any tail risk. And we also like energy producers. Um, So we're looking at um, energy producers naturally outside of Russia, who will then make up for the gap 
in loss of global supply, um, which we don't see now coming from Russia, given the conflict that's ongoing. They, the producers, energy producers uh, generally are, have very good balance sheets and are also paying a good dividend as well. Marsha Beans, a man there from City. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 